0: Hi everyone and welcome to our new Race to Recovery podcast. My name is Christopher Kranz and I'm a partner at Simmons & Simmons in Frankfurt. And I'm joined today by my colleague and fellow partner Sasha Kuhn from our office in Düsseldorf. And Sasha is our criminal and uh, sanctions law expert. Hi Sasha.
1: Hi Christopher.
0: Our topic today will be the war in Ukraine and the repercussions uh, this war um, might have on our economies in the European Union and in particular in Germany. And we know that um, this topic today is, of course, a moving target um, at best. So um, it goes without saying that that all that we can say today is just a snapshot in time and we simply can't foresee the the events in the future, what the future will bring and um, how this horrible crisis will actually develop. So at the moment, the best we can do is we can only hope that um, it comes uh, to an end um, very soon. Um, But let's um, start to shed some light into the current uh, situation with regards to sanctions, which uh, um, are all over the media at the moment. Uh, The sanctions the European Union has issued against Russia. And how these sanctions um are actually impacting global trade um and business and um uh, who would be better placed than than you, sasha to to give us uh, maybe a brief introduction to the types of sanctions that were actually imposed by the european union and i know uh, this is a moving target but um uh, maybe there are there are there's already some uh some some light you can shed into this
1: yeah sure Um, And and, and indeed, as you rightly put it, sanctions are a moving target for a number of reasons. The first reason being that uh, we have, um, during the the recent days, seen um, development in the scope of the sanctions. Um, And I think it's a fair prediction to say that these sanctions will change in the days to come. And the other issue and the other challenge indeed for for many of our clients is that, of course, we are focusing here on EU sanctions, but reality is there aren't just EU sanctions. There are also UK sanctions. There are US sanctions. There is a number of members of the international community which has imposed sanctions against Russia. Um, And international businesses, of course, have to comply with a number of sanctions uh, regimes, not just with the European sanctions regime. Um, now, w- 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 what, what is it that the EU has imposed? Um, it's um, restrictions against individuals, asset freezes. Um, the, the number of persons affected by this is relatively high, um, including, for example, but not only the members of the Duma um, who had um, voted for the recognition of the the self-proclaimed republics in eastern Ukraine. Um, But of course also high-ranking Russian politics, um, oligarchs, which have a very close relationship with the Russian administration. Um, So these are sanctions which are targeted against individuals. At the same time, we're seeing sanctions which are um, uh, aiming at banks, Russian banks, not all Russian banks, but a number, a relevant number of Russian banks. Um, You will have seen on the news that um, Swift has been also covered by sanctions, at least with regard to those banks, which are covered by the sanctions, uh, such as, for example, VTB, uh, such as Rossiya Bank and some other banks. Um, There are limitations in the trades of of, of, uh, shares. But also we are seeing something which is a very common approach- when we are looking at sanctions nowadays. um, Limitations with regard to the transfer of certain technologies- um, related to the aviation industry, related to the energy industry- uh, related of course to the defense industry. So a number of specific industries which are targeted by sanctions, and and maybe just to to um, mention one more point, which of however is relevant, um, flight restrictions. Um, uh, the the European airspace has been closed for Russian aircrafts, uh, just as the Russian airspace has been closed for European aircrafts, uh, so that air travel between um, the member states of the European Union. Um, and the Russian Federation is no longer possible. There is one thing, however, which I would like to to add before I uh, then hand back to you. And that is that from my perspective, yes, we are talking about sanctions. We are looking at sanctions. So a highly legal topic. Um, It is my perception of the market, however, um, that many organizations have already taken the decision to discontinue their business activities with Russian counterparts regardless of whether sanctions do apply or do not apply. Um, so that, from my perspective, uh, puts sanctions and the relevance of sanctions for many businesses um, into our perspective. We will maybe at a later point of time talk about the relevance of sanctions in the context of the question, how to terminate contracts, which are um, in your books contracts with, uh, w- w- with Russian counterparts, but um, yeah maybe that should be enough on sanctions in the first step
0: yeah th- thanks a lot sasha that's 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 very interesting and um, i just i just read in the news today that for instance uh nike or or apple or other u s uh companies um are no longer selling uh to russia so so basically um you can't buy buy these products anymore or daimler as a as a german uh, oem has has declared to seize its Um, its uh, operations and its joint venture with uh, Kamas uh, with regards to the truck industry. So, as you say, it goes further and it goes beyond sanctions, uh, what we're experiencing to date. And that brings us um, to the point where uh, we would like to briefly touch on um, how sanctions, but how the whole war um, actually um, touches and relates to um to uh, the the economies and the, the business operations in in europe and in particular in germany and i think a good starting point is if we just look at the actual trade volumes germany has with uh with russia um and if you look at that then you you can see that russia is the 14th largest uh trade partner of germany so not that the trade is not that big to be honest uh, but it's at least the number four outside of the eu countries we have export volumes in the region of 2.3 percent so that's roughly 25 26 billion we're exporting to to russia and uh, imports are obviously higher um, due to the large imports of gas um, and and energy so that's 6.6 percent of our imports come from russia and um, yeah it's mainly oil and gas of course so 55 percent of our oil and, and gas um, imports actually come from one supplier and that is Russia. but we also get metals rare earths and coal from Russia and from Ukraine um, it is mainly corn and soy so uh, f- uh, Ukraine is probably one of the largest supplier of corn and soy uh, worldwide so they, they they cover alone to I think 28 percent of the world market. so this is this is immense. Um, And what do we export? We export basically what we export in all other countries. That's machineries, in particular in relation to Ukraine and Russia. It's a lot of land machines and tractors, um, but also cars, auto parts, um, and a lot of chemicals, pharmaceutical uh, and petrochemicals. That's basically it. And um, yeah, how are the repercussions? We can already see them. Um, You just have to read the news. Um, You can see them in the automotive industry where um, metals um, and car parts, which are uh, supplied from factories in in the Ukraine or in Russia, are missing at the moment. So this is affecting, for instance, Volkswagen, who are closing down two of their plants uh, in Zwickau and in Dresden, simply due to a lack of, of cables. Yeah? They need the cables for their uh, e-cars. Um, and um, I read yesterday that Leoni, that's one of the Top tier suppliers in Germany, it's definitely Tier One supplier to OEMs. They they have two Ukrainian factories and obviously they had to close them, um, so they can't they can't supply um, their their products anymore. Uh, all in all, um, OEMs have 49 factories in uh, Ukraine and, Russia. and the ones with the biggest exposures um, appear to be Hyundai, Renault, and uh, in Germany it's Volkswagen. So. Um, these are the ones who are um, supplying the most uh, cars to to Russia and to Ukraine. Then, of course, we see that logistics are hit. Um, if you just look at lorry drivers, ten percent of them come from Ukraine, so this obviously has an impact. And as 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 you said, air freight uh, is completely down. So uh, the airspace is locked at the moment, and therefore there's no air freight into Russia and from Russia. Um, and uh, of course, this has, has a connect also to airlines. So um, Lufthansa is at the moment cancelling 30 flights um, into Russia and Ukraine. Um, everyone is flying around this airspace. So this uh, leads to higher um, kerosene costs, of course. And um, the uh, um, aircraft lessers are, are also hit, at least the ones who have ties to Russia, because the, the sanctions as they are set up also include... The owners of aircraft um, so if for instance lufthansa leases aircraft from a russian um, le- lessor um, then uh, they can't use it anymore so the the aircraft are grounded um, and this goes on with uh, goes on with uh, repercussions to the actual financing structures of these lessors, which are usually spvs so there will be a cash flow disruption immediately um, and uh, also um, obviously any service service providers the airports um, and any corresponding industries in the uh, airline industry or aircraft industry will will feel these uh, these repercussions. One important point is, of course, energy. Um, at least to, as of today, energy supplies are still open from, from Russia. But, um, of course, um, energy will, it is at least likely to assume that energy will become uh, more costly. And the largest energy supplies in Germany are basically the chemical companies uh, like BASF or Bayer. So they will... We'll obviously have to immediately search for for alternatives yeah? and last but not least one important repercussion is finance because that's um as, as as you said sasha a lot of the sanctions actually aim at uh you know the the finance streams worldwide swift is one point yeah? um, everyone's heard about that so swift uh, will be blocked in relation to certain russian banks which are on the sanctions list but of course, there are ways around it, and this doesn't mean that uh, there there won't be any payments at all anymore in, in Russia. So you can reroute them uh, via China, or uh, you can um, you can simply um, look for for other means of payment, not using SWIFT. Um, and then we've got of course Russian subsidiaries like Sparebank in Austria or VTB and here in Frankfurt, who, um, uh, uh, yeah, will uh, will. Um, um, have to deal with um, the uh, the sanctions against uh, against their um, their their parent companies and um, at least in relation to Sparebank, what we've seen is uh, the Single Resolution Board having issued a, a moratorium uh, just a couple of days ago. And uh, last uh, night, um, the uh, the uh, the Austrian um, regulator basically interdicted business operations of Sparebank of the Austrian. Uh, um, of the Austrian um, uh, subsidiaries. So um, how far this will go, we do, we can't say at the moment, but it's uh, it's definitely um, an important point to watch. So to sum things up with regards to the uh, repercussions, uh, it is obvious that we are seeing a lot of supply chain disruptions which come on top of the disruptions we had already seen due to corona crisis and due to the semiconductor crisis. And um, yeah, let's basically now move on to how this will actually, um, impact contracts and how, uh, you can react as a, um, as a contract party to, to these supply chain disruptions. So maybe Sasha, do you want to say, say a couple of things about the contractual experience?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, and, uh, Sad enough, um, we, 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 we have practical experience in how those things work or do not work. Uh, remembering, for example, the events in Syria when the first sanctions were imposed against Syria. Uh, we had cases in which um, German, Italian, European companies uh, who had been in contractual arrangements with Syrian counterparts, uh, were all of a sudden facing a situation in which it was no longer possible for them- um, to provide the the goods and services um, uh, which they contractually owed. Now, where there are sanctions and where because of sanctions- um, the performance of a contract is not possible, um, that's the easy solution- because then you are freed from your contractual obligation- uh, provided that the contract is under German law um so that's the easy thing much more challenging is the scenario in which um your contractual performance is not covered by sanctions so technically speaking you are still in a position to fulfill your contractual obligations but the business is taking the decision that for obvious reasons it does not want to do business and you more with the russian counterpart then the question is um is there the right to unilaterally terminate the agreement um that is something that uh, has to be assessed really on on a case-to-case basis and i think equally important and maybe even much more important is another question where you as a german business for example obtain goods obtain products which you want to then further work on in germany from counterparts, for example, in Ukraine. Um, You you were talking about cables a few minutes ago. Um, What do you do with regard to your counterparts in Germany? Because you have your contractual obligations also towards them, which you cannot fulfill because you cannot work on your products because you're still waiting for those cables, for example, from Ukraine. Now, um, the, 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 the answers are quite easy for the contractual relationship between the German business and its Ukrainian counterpart, because there, for example, the principles of force majeure would usually apply because there is war in Ukraine and war is an established uh, example of force majeure. And so the Ukrainian counterpart is free from its contractual obligation. But you as a German business, for example, you are not placed in a country where there is war. So the force majeure. Um, reason uh, probably does not work with regards to the issue um, of your contractual arrangement with the German counterpart. Now, German law does provide for a solution for such cases, the the so-called principles um, of the Wegfall der Geschäftsgrundlage, the, the disappearance of the basis uh, for the business. Um, in some cases, these principles do apply. They applied to the Turing cases, and they might just as well be invoked um, in, in in these new cases now. Um, but the the question then comes down to whether or not your German counterpart, or or Swiss, or French, or Dutch counterpart, you name it, were aware of the fact that you were sourcing certain parts of your product, for example, from Ukraine and whether that was supposed to be your risk or whether it was to be was supposed to be a risk borne by both parties so again it comes to a case to by case assessment uh, and unfortunately there aren't um, any easy answers which will cover all contractual arrangements but i think that specifically with regard to um, to, to to finance agreements there might be some particularities christopher right
0: yeah, that's that's true thanks uh, thanks sasha um i think with, with regards to finance agreements um the termination or at least the exit of the uh, finance parties that's the the lenders under the finance agreement in let's say sophisticated what we call lma style finance agreements is made uh easier easier in such a situation in particular as these agreements, if they're drafted well, uh, and according to market standard, would usually include a, what we call an illegality clause, so a clause which basically states that as soon as it becomes illegal, which in the case of a, a financing a sanctioned party, a sanctioned borrower would be the case, obviously, for uh, for a lender, um, if that happens, then the lender has an exit right. It then depends on how the, the, the wording of the clause is drafted, so the exit right can either in the form of a, a mandatory prepayment event, which is probably the most uh, usual type to, to structure these clauses as we see it in the market, meaning that such lenders can then demand repayment um, uh, without actually um, having an event of default under the credit agreement. The other option is that it actually triggers an event of default, uh, which then has or can have repercussions on um, or let's say a domino effect on other finance agreements uh, in the form of a cross uh, default event um, and in order to prevent that you would usually draft a clause like that in the sense that you have a, a mandatory repayment event so the lenders are usually protected they get uh, an exit right and um, uh, such an illegality event uh, caused by sanctions would usually also trigger a draw stop under revolving credit facilities so basically they are no longer under an obligation to provide further financing under the agreement i think that's um in well drafted um uh, agreements um the situation is very clear so we don't have to uh or the finance parties don't have to um to use more general concepts under under german law or under english law um uh, and can really use what is in the contract so that makes it clearer um in in such a situation so i think um to sum things up, maybe just uh, in the end, a couple of words on how should you actually react um, as um, a, let's say, basically a supplier, for instance, in the automotive industry, who now has to close its um, uh, its factories in the Ukraine or in, in Russia. What what should you do uh, with regards to preventing further, further damage? Um, I think uh, two things are key in such a crisis scenario. Uh, the first thing is information so you have to get as much information on your financials on the impact of the situation uh with regards to your supply own supply chain with regards to your customers so information is key but also cash is key or king in such a situation so you have to make sure that you stay liquid that the uh, disruptions you're facing do not lead in a in an illiquidity situation which might uh, force you into Uh, into filing requirements under German Solvency Law. So that should be prevented. Therefore, um, it's important to get as much information about the contractual and the liquidity situation as possible, as soon as possible. Um, And once you have that, um, it makes sense to reduce costs. So far possible, try to get as much liquidity from emergency measures uh, set up uh, or tap uh, liquidity buffers, which you might have in your finance structure. Um, Get in touch with your... Um, finance parties with your basically your lenders as soon as possible, um, and try to get uh, more liquidity if if needed. Also with your sponsors and uh, and parent companies, and uh, from a legal side, um, setting up cash flow forecasts, uh, which ideally should run consecutively for twelve months, is a, is a very good thing uh, to have that in place as uh, as uh, early as possible to do a proper insolvency monitoring, and then to keep your Supervisory bodies, shareholders, and uh, if you are listed on a capital market, uh, the capital market informed as far as possible and uh, as far as legally required. I think that that's um, that's that's basically all uh, from us um, at the moment. Um, we know it's um, it's a very tense situation um, and also politically problematic uh, topic. Where I was speaking about, but we thought nonetheless it makes sense to. Um, to at least touch on these points in order to shed some lights on uh, how the situation um, is unfolding at the moment thank you very much thank you